Welcome to the Liberty on Fire podcast. Okay, so today, since abortion is back in the swing of things, of the news, and just had a heated discussion at a uh, dinner party the other day with several uh, people that I respect, I wanted to touch on this subject again and give kind of my thoughts and full thinking on the subject. It's really tough to get across your point of view when you're talking about a topic such as abortion, which is so complex, in 30 seconds. You just really can't. So anything you could possibly say in such a short time frame can be taken in the wrong way by the people you're talking to, whoever's listening to you. So let's, let's start from the beginning. So how much weight do we want to give the baby? And, you know, where do the baby's rights start as a fetus? I mean, that's really the crux of the entire abortion discussion, right? Because um, are the baby's rights equal to the rights of the mom? Um, where does that begin in, right? So if the baby's rights begin at maybe conception, well, then abortion for all intents and purposes is illegal, right? Because killing the baby, having an abortion, even at four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, would be considered some sort of murder. If we go to the other end of the spectrum and say, no, the baby doesn't have any rights at all until it's actually born, well, then we're, we're keeping in mind that late-term abortion is okay. And many people have a problem with that. So, you know, whether you start a conception or you're going all the way to the, the birth aspect of the, you know, sliding scale or you're somewhere in between, it seems like to me that most of American culture, the majority, kind of reject both ends. They kind of reject that life beginning at conception and uh, life only at birth point of view, meaning that the no abortion ever crowd is smaller than the mainstream view, but also meaning the late-term abortion crowd is just as unpopular as the mainstream view as well. So, I mean, just for example, in a late-term abortion, what's happening is the uh, doctor performing the abortion is actually dismantling or taking apart the baby in pieces before, you know, actually delivering the baby. Or you can go to the extreme where uh, you have somebody like Kermit Gosnell, after the baby is being born live, he's actually, you know, snipping their spinal cord. So I didn't mean to get that graphic, but that's what you have to keep in mind with late-term abortion and why so many people are against it. So mainstream culture on abortion has followed pretty much the whole Roe v. Wade approach, kind of applying a sliding scale to the fetus, where, you know, early on in the pregnancy, it's more socially acceptable to have an abortion, and towards the late stages of pregnancy, it's much less socially acceptable to do so. So that's what we mean by the sliding scale. And then after Roe v. Wade, you know, states have more or less kind of adopted that sort of framework in their laws. 
So these new laws, like in New York, for instance, which is guaranteeing late-term abortion, are pretty much a rejection of mainstream thinking. Just as like these early-term abortion laws, like in Alabama or Georgia, are against a mainstream view. Now, I think over time, more and more weight is going to shift towards giving the baby more rights, and because for a couple of reasons. One, I believe technology has really helped, in some sense, give uh, the baby a better fighting chance, let's say. And one piece of technology that has really helped with this is ultrasound. Now, with ultrasound, I mean, you can see just about every feature of the baby as if it were outside the womb. I mean, you can see fingers and toes, you can see the baby's heart, you can see the baby's lungs and stomach and bowel, uh, the kidneys, you can see their brain and their spine. I mean, you can see everything. Uh, and you can even see when the baby's sitting there hanging out or moving around or sucking its thumb. So uh, this ability to actually visualize the baby in utero and the ability that we now have with uh, neonatal medical care of the baby being able to survive outside the womb are two things that are going to slowly push this culture war on abortion towards giving more weight to the baby in favor of the baby's rights uh, in lieu of the rights of the mother. Well, anyway, so those are my thoughts on that. And now I want to tell you guys about another theory, of course, that I've heard of. It's not that recent. Uh, this really prolific um, writer and thinker in the libertarian circle called Walter Block has come up with a theory called evictionism. So let me explain what ev evictionism is. So with evictionism, Walter Block says that the mother has a right at any time to evict the baby from the womb, but does not have a right to kill the baby. So what does that mean? So early on, let's say, in a pregnancy, the woman could invict the baby, and most of the time that baby will die. Later on in the pregnancy, the eviction will, be, will result in a live birth of the baby, which would then go on to get the necessary medical care um, to continue to be healthy. So as technology gets better and better in the whole you know, realm of neonatal medicine, I think that time frame is going to get pushed further and further, um, like early on in the pregnancy. So let's say, for example, and this, I'm just ballparking here, maybe, you know, 30 years ago, it was probably hard for a baby to survive, you know, being born, let's say, at 30 weeks. And maybe 20 years ago, that time frame was moved into the 20s. And, and currently, we're, we're pretty close to where you can have a baby born in the lower 20-week period of gestation and that baby going on to survive. That, that's how much medicine has progressed. Well, there's a good chance that this evictionism theory, which I think does its best to kind of give some weight to the baby, some weight to the mother, but allows for the ability of technology to step in and take over where the baby did not have a fighting chance before, now it does. So again, I think this may catch on with many people as it really gives uh, us a way of, uh, I guess, a way out of picking a time frame for when the baby has rights, right? It, it kind of melds with technology and 
what medical care has done in, in I guess, move for modern medicine in any modern country. So I, I think this theory, although not well known at the moment, will become more and more popular. And I'm not sure I'm 100% on board with it, but it's certainly something worth talking about and discussing. The other thing I wanted to talk about was this whole abortion discussion allows me to kind of dovetail into what I believe is fundamental to maintaining a local culture on issues and maintaining a local culture that you're comfortable with, and that is states' rights. So you have these abortion laws in, let's say, New York and maybe even California, for all I know, that are very in favor of the mother, barely give any weight at all to the baby, and then you have the opposite side where maybe these new laws in Alabama Alabama and Georgia are giving the most weight possible to the baby and not so much to the mom. Now, it's it's always better if government is kept local. And although, as a libertarian, I really don't want states to tell you what to do, having a national or general government tell you what to do is worse. Now, how is a general government going to properly represent the views of 330 million people? I mean, they, they can't possibly represent everyone's views. So that, that was a rhetorical question. It's impossible. That's the whole point of states' rights and state sovereignty. So before where we were in more of a kind of moral discussion or framework on abortion, now with states' rights, I get to at least get into a little bit of like maybe legal framework um, behind states' rights and what many people who favor a strong national government and a national government telling the states what to do try to use something called the Supremacy Clause in the Constitution to do that. Now, the problem with that is that this so-called Supremacy Clause in the Constitution, which is found in Article 6, says that the Constitution and the laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and then there's some more wording after that, shall be the supreme law of the land. So what does that mean? Well, it really means that all laws made in pursuance of the Constitution, so those items that were clearly enumerated in the Constitution to the general government were supreme, okay? It did not include pretty much a whole bunch of stuff. There were very few enumerated powers given to the general government by the Constitution, I mean, we can name a couple of them. One was like the whole military, so national defense. I think another one was the post office and then something about regulating trade, possibly with foreign countries, but that was about it. Everything else was supposed to be left to the states or the people. And that was actually the whole idea behind the 10th Amendment in the Bill of Rights. Now, the 10th Amendment, all it really does is come out again and say that the states are sovereign and aside from the enumerated powers given to the general government, the state's laws are binding and all these different states can govern themselves. Now I can get very historical on you and talk about the you know, state ratifying conventions and the way that the constitution was sold to the different states at the time. And it, I mean, it took a couple of years for the, uh, I guess, the 13 colonies at the time for them to ratify the Constitution and to form the general government. And the way it was sold was that the states were going to be sovereign, that each state kind of had its own culture. So there was no way the people in New York 
felt the same way about all the different issues that the people in Georgia did or in Virginia. That was the whole point of having these different cultures come together to create a general government to do only certain things. Each state really wanted to have its own powers and its own culture. The Constitution would never have been ratified if the states were going to turn all their power over to the general government after the document was signed. I mean, think about it. They just fought a huge war with probably the most powerful country on the planet. And after that war of overthrowing this dictator from, you know, 3,000 miles away, that they all of a sudden now were going to put in place a dictatorial government, you know, a few hundred miles away. Doesn't make any sense. None of the states would have ratified the Constitution. And they were, of course, you know, at these state ratifying debates, there were discussions on the subject. And of course, there were some people in favor of a stronger national government, one of them being Alexander Hamilton. I covered that in a prior podcast episode. But the majority opinion in all the states was in favor of state sovereignty and that the general government couldn't tell the states what to do, and the general government could only execute the enumerated powers in the document itself. Now, for a much more, I guess, in-depth conversation uh, about the Constitution, I think you can look at people like Brian McClanahan, who is a fantastic historian. He has his own podcast, and he's published books on this. He actually, on his website, he has courses on the Constitution, which, I mean, you can learn or try to relearn the real history of uh, the United States and things that happened as opposed to kind of what you got in your, in your public school system like I did. So for yeah a more in-depth discussion, I would point towards McClanahan as a resource. But just to get back into this, I mean, at the time of the ratifying of the Constitution, you had very prolific uh, founders who demanded that an amendment to the Constitution expressly maintained the sovereignty of the states. They demanded a Bill of Rights, and of course they demanded the Tenth Amendment in the Bill of Rights, giving uh, or just kind of reassuring state sovereignty. So, you know, clearly the, the intent of the Tenth Amendment was to mitigate any sort of design that the federal government had on enlarging its own powers through the Supremacy Clause. Basically, if the power was not enumerated in the Constitution and the states were not prohibited by the Constitution from exercising that power, like, you know, raising a military, then that power was reserved to the states. So that's kind of what I wanted you guys to know about this whole legal issue, that it really is and boils down to a states' rights discussion. Uh, overall, I'm, I'm not sure what the right answer is on abortion, and actually, I don't, I don't think there really is a right answer for everyone. That's the whole point, and that's also part of the problem, because people all over the place uh, are, sorry, people are all over the place on the whole sliding scale issue when it comes to a baby and when it's, you know, when does it have rights, and as a country, for us to maintain our local cultures in our states or in our counties, that's the whole reason the states' rights are so important, and that the states have to stop subjugating themselves to the general government and the Supreme Court on issues that they should be controlling themselves. So if we talk about Roe v. Wade again just for a few seconds, this whole thing started in the state of Texas, and it ended up going to the uh, Supreme Court for Texas, and that's where it should have died. 
And after the Supreme Court in Texas ruled on it, that should have been the law of the land for that state. This issue never should have been kicked up to the U.S. Supreme Court because it's not a federal government issue. There's no, um, or there's nothing in the Constitution, there's no enumerated power giving the federal government jurisdiction over this. So when it was sent to the Supreme Court years ago, the Supreme Court should have said, hey, this is not a general government power, and we're going to leave it up to the states to decide. But already for years, the general government has been increasing its power and is more than happy to continue to take on more and more issues and laws that it doesn't have the power to do or was given the power to do. But as it does so, it certainly gives the general government the power it desires. And believe me, the general government wants to be powerful. The politicians you send to Washington want to be powerful. They want to go there. Hopefully, they think they're doing something good. And hopefully, you know, they have the good intentions in mind. But make no mistake, politicians only care about themselves. They don't care about you. And if they care about themselves, they're really intent on what's good for them. What's good for them is getting reelected. And getting reelected means maintaining power and control over as many people as possible. That wasn't the way the Constitution was sold to the states, but that's kind of where we have morphed nowadays. So if you want to take back your rights, decrease the power that the general government has over you, then we need to push our local governments in our states to assert themselves better. That's what I think New York is doing in some sense, as well as Georgia and Alabama. They are asserting themselves for their local people which, although you may not agree with what New York or Alabama and Georgia have done, it is the right way to go about doing it of states and cultures, local cultures, asserting themselves, taking back the power that the general government has already taken from them. And although every state may come up with its own rules, this was really the way it was meant to be. And then over time, and you can, you can broaden this out to many other different types of Uh, I guess, laws and issues, over time, the United States was supposed to be multiple different local government experiments. And one state could look at another state and see what they were doing right, what they were doing wrong, and then change their laws accordingly. If you have a general government overseeing everything and telling everybody what to do, well, then the mistakes are going to be much larger on a scale that's going to be very hard to change as opposed to having all these different experiments going on at the same time and people maintaining their own local culture. And as you can see, when a state like New York has an extreme version, let's say, of the abortion law, there's a lot of outrage about it. And then when Alabama and Georgia have the opposite extreme version of a law, there's a lot of outrage about it. And every four years, when we elect someone that half the country is happy about, the other half of the country is outraged. Maintaining local culture is important. It keeps the people in the state or in the county, the local vicinity, happier because you're not subjugating yourself to someone from, let's say, across the country who doesn't understand your culture. You're not giving up your way of life to some other person you don't even know. And it will actually help the states stay together if that's what you really want to do. Now, eventually, over time, 
I do think the United States is going to have to break up because the culture is so diverse. The clashes between the states and between the different peoples is so polarized at this point that, in my opinion, there's no real way for it to heal and bring it back together. Remember, it wasn't supposed to be that way. It was always supposed to be state sovereignty and local cultures maintaining their own local authority. So in my opinion, it's no surprise that that's the direction I think things are going. Well, that will do it for today. Thank you all for listening to the Liberty on Fire podcast. Please do me two favors. Number one is to share the show. Remember that we want to continue to advance the message of individual liberty, and sharing and growing the show is one of the best ways to do that. The second favor is to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes. A five-star rating is much appreciated. Also, please check out our website, libertyonfire.org. Thank you very much. And until next time, let's keep those fires of liberty burning bright.